Okay, welcome back everyone. Hope you had a good lunch. Um, so the title of the afternoon lecture is Where Gold Certificates Cannot Deputise for Gold Coins. And I suppose this, this lecture is in relation to um, a lecture I gave, gave earlier. Is paper money a present good or a future good? Lecture 10. And it's also relating to a lecture yet to be given. So I'm not quite sure why Professor put the, this lecture here, but anyway. So, and this is also related to lecture 18, golden interest. So uh, just bear that in mind if you don't understand everything at the moment. So remember in lecture 10, we went through the difference between wealth and gold, sorry, wealth, and gold, the object. We went through the difference between a promise to pay gold and the object that represents that. And we also went through that Mises confused everything along those lines. Confusing ends with means and making an institute out of it later on. So, bearing that in mind, Let's examine more closely why you can't make the uh, why making the confusion between gold and a uh, a promise to pay gold and the object of a promise to pay gold is not just pedantry and grammar. It makes a big difference in the determination of the um, the interest rate. Okay, so. Um, I urge everyone to keep in the back of their mind at all times, just like the word for marketability in German, which is? Okay. Keep in your head the picture of gold at the center, at the bottom, and all of these claims to gold with the uh, longer claims going up and the shorter claims going down. And the claims which are the closest to being like gold are called what? Real bills. Real bills. And that's like a membrane around. And these are all bonds. So always remember that in your head. And you can remember 0, 1, 2, 3 for increasing or decreasing frequency. And also the form is changing. You're getting less and less like gold as you move further away. So remember this picture as well. And remember what the picture represents, obviously. Um, Okay, so we move on to the theory of interest. Okay, now we as humans uh, try and make uh, sense of our context, and the way that we do that is by 
having the abstract mental concept of space and time. And the objects that we use to measure space and time have actually changed throughout the, uh, the centuries. So we defined a unit of time 50, 100 years ago as I actually don't know how we defined it, but now we define it in terms of um, something to do with an atomic decay. It's, 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 it's something from a shell, an electron going from one shell to another that is presumed to be always a constant unit. That's how we measure a second. And space, well that's easier, a meter was defined a hundred years ago by the length of a platinum rod kept in Paris. And the reason platinum was chosen was because it had the, um, the, the lowest specific heat capacity coefficient of expansion. Coefficient of expansion. So it wouldn't change its nature for a change in the environment around it. Do you, know, do you happen to know, I know it's not relevant to this, but do you happen mm. to know who or what, why the, the, it was that length that was defined to be a mm. what was, uh, was it the, I don't know, yeah. Because we extend our arms and it's about like that? Or? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I know that the unit of ounce, though, uh, w goes all the way back to Wavic times. So you see the ounce as a unit in the um, Indus Valley and all of that. But measurement, length, I'm not, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Some scientific thing about the diameter of the Earth divided by some number, something not humanly connected, the meter, but like a foot or an inch. But I so what turned out to be the, the distance of a meter and, and preserved in Paris and platinum, but, but what turned out to be that length was attributable to something scientific. Yes, something oh. objective, rather right. subjective like a foot. Something, uh, you mean more objective. <laughs> 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 this is the Mengerian school, I am. <laughs> so it keeps on changing the means keep on changing, and the means keep on changing. So, you know, um, a one meter platinum rod is not equal to the same object as light traveling over a certain distance, which is how you define a meter now. Okay, so don't confuse the means satisfying the ends at each process, at each stage of our recognition of reality, basically. Okay, so space and time, whether they actually exist objectively is irrelevant. And I think Einstein showed that they're fundamentally related anyway. Okay, so space and time feeds into the theory of interest um, as follows. You've got your bid rate of interest. and your uh, offered rate of interest here and you do arbitrage between the 
bond versus stock market here. And stock, I just use the term for capital markets. Um, and you do the arbitrage here between the bond and gold coin. Or physical gold, but I'm just calling it gold coin market. Okay. Now, um, for a particular maturity of bond, I'm talking about one particular maturity of bond here. I'm not just so. Just think about it from that perspective. You can have different maturities of bonds, and then we talk about marginal liquidity preference. So I'm not talking about that just right now. Okay. So this part involves productivity. or marginal productivity of capital. And this is related to marginal time preference. Now, Productivity and changes in productivity are to do with spatial things, spatial objects. So rearranging objects in different ways. I went through this in the first lecture. Realizing that objects can be combined. Realizing that there are other objects which you had no concept of before but have a use for something. So this is all a spatial thing. And this is a temporal thing. So you can see the connection there. The whole point about it is that um, You can't build a theory of interest from just one end without ignoring the other. Okay, there's, so this combines the two schools of uh, interest that were previously conflicting. The productivity schools of interest and the time preference schools of interest. And in summary, the time preference school basically said, um, well, um, there's a rate of interest because future, uh, 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 a present good naturally has a greater value than uh, that, that good in the future. And the productivity school said, well, that wouldn't be, and you can derive a rate of interest from that the temporal basis for interest, okay? And the productivity school sort of said, well, that assumes that you have something to put it into. You know, so it assumes that you, you have some productive endeavor that gives that rate. 
It doesn't just exist naturally. So the two schools were conflicting and they didn't realize that they're just two sides of one coin. Okay, you do need both of them uh, together. Of course, if you have an idea for an enterprise, but there's no one willing to give you money for that time period, then there's no interest rates. But if you have money willing to give for a time period, but there's no one willing to take it for a productive enterprise, then you don't have an interest rate. So Mises said that interest is a market phenomenon without actually thinking what a market was. Okay, a market means free exchange. Being able to do that or that, left or right, buy or sell. It doesn't mean just buying or selling, which is what you're implying if you build a theory of interest rate from time solely. So anyone that says, oh, but Mises said that it was a market phenomenon, well, they're not actually thinking themselves. What does a market mean? What does the object of a market mean? A market always means is the object of representing free exchange. Okay. Now, the reason that you can't have a gold certificate and it's important to define what a gold certificate is here. Yeah. A gold certificate is just a, uh, a claim to gold. Okay, so you could have a gold certificate from the 20s in America, and it would say $20 payable on demand wherever. Now, you have no idea what they're doing with the gold whilst they're waiting for it to be potentially uh, taken from the vault. Okay, they could be lending it on. The managers of that whole certificate scheme could say, right, well, we don't think that everyone will want to have their gold back, so we'll lend 95% of it out and put it in the treasury market or something. You don't know what is being done with the gold behind a promise to pay gold. All that you're assuming is that the promise will be kept when you want it to be kept, which is a bit naive. Um, so, just to reiterate that, okay, the reason you need the gold coin is when you're... Um, upset about the rate of interest being below what the natural marginal time preference would be. Whatever it is. Okay? So, what would happen is that you would exchange your gold bonds for gold coin in order to bring the bond price down and the rate of interest back up above marginal time preference. Okay? And if you sold, if you exchanged the gold bond for a gold certificate, it's, it's obvious. It doesn't need any further thought. Okay? The person, the per, if you, if, you know, they, the, 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 
the manager of the gold certificate scheme could have just used the gold to go out and buy the bond that you've exchanged for gold and exchange it back for gold. So it's not achieving what it's meant to be achieving unless it's guaranteed that you're exchanging the gold bond for gold coin, for physical gold. Okay, not a, not a claim to gold, not a promise to pay gold, but gold has to be the actual metal itself. Because you're being far too trustworthy um, if you assume that um, the two are the same. Because they're not. Now, um, someone was going on about... Uh, warehousing versus a gold certificate okay now if you're a if you own a warehouse uh, <clears throat> then yes you don't put what's in the warehouse the warehouseman doesn't put the market value of the contents of the warehouse on his balance sheet okay he has no idea what's in his warehouse to all intents and purposes just some objects that someone left um, but that is different. Yeah. I, I think essentially it depends if what if, because warehousemen have warehouse two things. Yeah. Their own assets and other people's assets. So yeah, your point is valid for what is all allocated storage. Yeah. What is in effect where being warehouse that is not owned by the warehouser. Yeah. yeah. So look, it's an important. What yeah, it is. It is. It is. So uh, if you think that the gold certificate is equivalent to a gold warehousing, it's not. You know, that's the whole point. You know, if you, if you bought allocated bullion, uh, it's, you, it might as well just be represented with the room number, not what's uh, in the room, as it were, because they've just given you the room. But um, a gold certificate is not like that. It's like if you go to the warehouse, the warehouseman looks at what you're putting in the warehouse, says, well, I might have use of that until you want it back. And um, so I'm actually going to put what it is that you're warehousing on the certificate. Um, and I'm glad that it's fungible in the sense that any other piece of gold is the same as another piece of gold. And I can do things with it. Just to be clear, so what you call gold certificate mm. um, is unallocated storage. It's just a promise to pay gold. Right, so, but mm. it's not allocated storage. No, no, no. Okay. No. okay. Because I, I get confused when I hear certificates because there's organizations like the Perth Mint mm. that um, uh, whether you have allocated or unallocated storage is still called a certificate for some reason, which mm. I don't understand at all. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and depend also because uh, pre-Fed or um, um, there were uh, certificates for gold dollars. Mm. You know, that those, those I would call gold certificates yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's, Different. I mean, I don't actually, I mean, I, I haven't seen a gold certificate before. I mean, apart from these ones from the 
the early 20th century. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't think they really exist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, apart from these Perth, Perth Mint, I'm sure Scotia Macata do something similar, but uh, yeah. because your one was with Scotia, wasn't it, Rudy? But that's, that's not more than exactly. That's, that's not, more. yeah, that's, that's not the same. That's not at all. Yeah. yeah this was that's, not, that's not gold. Right. Okay. Well, this was supposedly allocated gold in their vault. It was a title to a certain weight of gold. Well, not a title, maybe that's the wrong word. A certificate is never allocated. But not a specific bar. Uh, so maybe you should call it a title if it's to a specific mm. bar. Yeah, mm. well, that's what allocated means. Mm. You have a title to the bar. But it boils down to property rights. And yeah. There's a yeah. Chinese wall there, and if, it, if it's not kept, then exactly that happens. It sort of slips over to the other side. Trust. Just two points about um, the gold certificates. Uh, first is a question. Um, the certificate is a, is, a, is a storage receipt, isn't it? No. No. No, just a certificate. Mm. Okay, and then comment about the uh, the storage, the forms of storage. As far as I know, there is the differentiation between unallocated, allocated, and segregated. Yeah. So basically, um, if you let's say you have a storage receipt about a specific amount of gold, then and, and the warehouseman of that gold keeps it in his warehouse mixed with other bars from other people that it's allocated That's but not allocated. segregated. Unallocated is when he mixes it with his own gold. There is a difference between unallocated and allocated. And if you segregate it, then there are special boxes for every bar where there's a certificate outstanding. And that is actually the difference between unallocated, allocated and segregated. That's so you're saying that segregated is stronger than allocated? Yeah, no. definitely. Well, that's a low definition. That's with a special number, so you can know which R that's, has which number. That's actually you can mix it up. That's the title. Maybe in that's Germany. Maybe in Germany, that's uh, the translation the of the word you use in German. That's all over Europe. This 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 separation is all over Europe. That's common. You know, it's a common definition of allocated, unallocated, and segregated. So the highest form is segregated storage. But allocated just means that the warehouse then keeps the stuff, you know, he mixes it with other bars. Are you saying it away from his own gold? It's just his client's gold, but it doesn't matter which bar is which allocated. Oh, I disagree. I mean, well, we we can talk about that later. Yeah, okay. yeah. I didn't but, want uh, to start a discussion on this. I just yeah wanted to clarify what you meant by certificate, and you've done that. Yeah, I mean, um, because there was confusion earlier, I think, with uh, Diego. I think it was Diego about what you mean by that, and I don't mean a warehouse receipt by a gold certificate, basically. Okay. Um, so, the difference between a gold certificate and gold just becomes um, most apparent when you're trying to bring the rate of interest back above natural, uh, natural marginal time preference. Um, It's just worth describing a bit the history about all of this. Um, 
Menger didn't have the complete theory of interest, but he had the, the basics and the bid offer spread. And then uh, Eugene von Bombewark, um, who was Menger's student, um, didn't dismiss productivity as being part of the formation of interest rates at all. Um, he didn't have a theory, a complete theory of um, interest himself. Um, but Ludwig von Mises criticized Eugene uh, about considering productivity, just even considering it as part of the formation of interest, and uh, chastised him uh, quite aggressively. Um, aggressively in the sense of academically, not in terms of physically. Um, and it's quite, quite, uh, quite a big mistake to make, I think. And um, you, can't, um, you can't gloss over the fact that Ludwig von Mises got the theory of interest completely wrong. Completely, completely wrong. Not only did he just consider time, but he also considered time preference as opposed to marginal time preference. And he committed implicitly uh, the sin of averaging, as if it somehow pops out how time preference influences or is the basis for originary interest, whatever that is. So he made a mistake on two fronts, not just on the temporal element only, but the marginal nature of the temporal element. And he completely forgot the spatial element. Forget about talking about the marginal productivity of capital. So to all of the, all of the uh, people uh, who say that Ludwig von Mises said that interest was a market process, I will say to them that they don't know what a market is. It's not just a building with fancy brickwork that you pass in the city. That's the object of a market. Okay? And don't confuse a market with the concept of exchange. So you can always go back. That's what I'm saying. You don't know your context. Okay? And Menger realized that you never know your context. And it's a big difference in methodology. And I hope people are beginning to understand just how Ludwig von Mises was different to Menger in his methodology. Some people are reaching the Nirvana stage, I know. But once you get there, you realize that he made too many mistakes to be put in the same bracket as, uh, as Karl Menger. Okay, enough, enough bashing, Ludwig von Mises. Um, and there we have it. I think this is a pretty easy lecture. There's not much to, uh, to discuss here. Is there any element of this that was confusing at all? No. 
Is there anything that anyone wants to talk about that was lectured previously that they misunderstood? Whilst we have the time. You left in this like asa space and time, but you left the energy. No, this is meant to represent the mind. The mind is also energy, it is energy. Well, what it is, I don't know. You can have many things in here. <laughs> I'm just talking about space and time, though. Yeah, but if you don't have it, if you take the energy out of it, it's meaningless. Because no, no, no. All I'm saying is that the concept of space and the concept of time are mental. Yeah, but they are always, you have to have a something, and this something is energy. And no, that's not germane to what I'm trying to say. You, you, can, you can have energy here if you want, you know, but the point is that I'm talking about the, the variables that matter as far as our relationship to our surroundings is. It starts with space and time. We try and make sense of our context via the concept of space and time. Concept. Um, Andre, maybe you should make that a subject of a paper. Mm -hmm. No, no, but if there's no energy, there's nothing. It's energy and then it's determined by Space and time. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm not saying that's implying you know what we are. Okay, I'm not saying that that's not what we, we are. are. Right? Okay, I'm saying we don't know what we are, but I'm pretty sure that I have mental faculties, whatever I am. And the way that I use those faculties to express myself is by uh, space. Mental, quality, mental faculty, a product of energy. It might very well be, but it's not relevant to describing what the mind is in the first place. Rudy. Yeah, throw my two cents yeah. This marginal time preference, what does that mean? It means people somehow either prefer their stuff sooner or later, and this is a manifestation of mental thinking processes. And if you look out at the other one, that is also related to mental efforts that people provide better 